I really think the creative side is the most important for us. And I think that's, you know, the foundation and the marketing and the business side around it is like a multiplier of that creative side. Welcome to the Future Podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between creativity, business, and personal development. I'm Greg Gunn. Streaming great music is easy to come by these days. You can search for almost any artist you want on Spotify or Apple Music, and then be listening to them in a few seconds. I mean, even the band Tool finally put their discography up in the proverbial cloud. But there's one place online that's home to a unique genre of music, music that's streaming all day and every day, whether you're listening or not. And coincidentally, I'm listening to it right now while I write this intro. Chill Hop Music is a music label based out of Rotterdam. They work with artists who primarily make relaxing beats and music to help you, well, chill. And they stream this wonderful and mellow music 24-7 on YouTube. And over the years, have amassed over 3 million subs. In today's episode, we talk with the man behind the music, a man that majored in international business, but is slowly and deliberately finding his way back to creativity. He and Chris talk about where Chill Hop came from, how they work with artists, and of course, the business behind it all. So kick back, relax, and please enjoy our conversation with Boss Van Liewe. I'm fascinated by creative people who found a way to build a business around what they love. And your story is kind of a little different than most of our guests that we have on our show. So for those people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself? Give us that 15 second bio, if you will. Uh, my name is Bos Valewe. I run a music label uh, called Chill Hop Music. Um, yeah, I'm from the Netherlands and been doing this for seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. And so from what I understand, you're a business guy who actually has a degree in international business. So we don't have that many people who have business backgrounds. It's usually creatives who then try to figure out the business part. But this is the interesting thing I learned about you, that you like design, you play video games, and you're a self-described computer nerd. And you're finding your way back to creativity. And so can we kind of pick up the story from there in terms of like, you're out of school, you're kind of figuring out things, and then you get into this this thing that we're going to talk about. So can you take us to that point, please? Yeah. So when I finished my um, degree and I got my bachelor's degree, I was living in the southwest of the Netherlands in the countryside. And I didn't really know what to do. I, I mm -hmm. had a few job applications at some um, some some corporate, corporate uh, companies and I wasn't really feeling it. So I went to work at a factory. Um, I was working night shifts and I just picked up a book on, on SEO. I just, just randomly because the atmosphere there was like, you know, prompting me to like learn something or to, to spend my breaks learning, learning about something. So I learned about SEO and then I was spending a lot of nights with my friend, um, that still lived there listening to, to this music that I found, which was like the music that we put out now. And 
I was like, okay, so I'm learning a little bit about SEO. I like this kind of music. There wasn't really much to be found about the music. So like, I was like, yeah, I might as well, you know, start a blog or something and help the artists find more of an audience and help people sort of like find out about this music. So um, yeah, I started as a blog um, writing about the music. Then I figured, you know, if people don't know this music exists, writing about it is like a few steps too far ahead. Mm -hmm. um, so I started a YouTube channel where I would just combine the music with visuals. So I would talk to the artists, ask them for permission to upload a track. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, I was always computer nurse. I had some spent some time in Photoshop and in Adobe Premiere these kinds of um, programs. So it was actually pretty easy for me to pick that up. And I really liked combining visuals with the music. So um, yeah, that's kind of like how it started. And I ran it as a promo channel on YouTube for the for the first three years before I started the label. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to spend the bulk of our conversation talking about this company that you've built from relatively nothing. But before I do that, I think Almost all of our audience, they'll bug me later and say, you know, there's this part in his story where he makes this big change in his life. And I want to spend a little bit of time there so that we understand and set the context for like what comes after. What compelled you to study international business? It seemed like marketing was more of suited for you or computer animation or music production or something. But <laughs> why? Why international business? And then you know, why, why did you make that shift or how did you come to that decision? Like, this isn't for me. I don't know. I, I wish I had a very sort of like <laughs> contextually or a very deep story about it. But honestly, international business offered the opportunity to go abroad for internships and for mm -hmm. studying. Um, and I was 17 years old at the time um, when I started the study. So I was like, you know, I always had an affinity for for economy. Um, so like the classes that I had, my teacher would use to say like, yeah, you're very good at this stuff. And then I was like, you know, if your friends are going there, I'm good at that stuff. I can go abroad. Let's just go do mm -hmm. that. So yeah, to be honest, that's actually what prompted me to study okay. international business. So, <laughs> And well, also to be honest, yeah. to be honest, like when I studied this, I didn't really see the practical use but now as my company sort of develops, I'm finding myself using like frameworks that I mm -hmm. learned back in college, where at that time I was like, you know, it's never going to use this. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, this is super interesting, which is funny. Mm -hmm. So did you get to travel a lot when you were in school? Yeah. So I spent um, half a year in Barcelona studying. Um, well, I, I should say studying... Um, I spent most of my time skateboarding because Barcelona is like a skateboard <laughs> um, mecca of the world. Mm -hmm. So I spent most of my time skateboarding. And then I did an internship in Munich in Germany as well. I see. Okay. And then I, I guess in, in a way, your, your story isn't that crazy in that you meet people, you have an affinity towards things. Somebody says, you should do this, you should do that. And you're like, okay, I'll just do that. And you just kind of go with the flow, right? So that part's I understand because I, I did something similar myself. You're out mm. of school. I, I don't see a guy who's got a bachelor's in international business working in a factory. What kind of job did you do in the factory? So they make 
packages for carton carton packages if, that, okay. if that's an English mm-hmm. word yeah so for drinks and yogurt and stuff so mm-hmm. uh, it's just a job that paid well I could do night shifts and you know spend I had a lot of breaks at that company so uh, I had like within, within an eight hour shift I had two hours of breaks so I spent a lot of that time you know like I said reading up about SEO then reading up about web development and you know, exploring the internet. So mm-hmm. while I was there, I kind of like made my plans or made my start with what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, what I mean, what did you literally do in the factory? Were you on the line? Were you a designer? Were you an executive? I yeah, mean, I was. I was on the line. You were on the line. Factory. Like, yeah. Putting stuff together. Yes, exactly. With your hands. Okay. So this is a relatively unskilled labor, right? Yes. Uh, it gave me a lot of time to think. Let's, uh, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. Okay. But what's fascinating to me and people in America where I guess most of our audience is, is that when somebody describes a factory job, it doesn't come to mind, pays well, lots of free time, and gave me time to think. That's usually not what people associate with factory jobs. Usually in America, a factory job means minimum wage, hard working conditions, and, and it's like soul sucking. So they must do it differently there where you're in the Netherlands, right? Yeah, so if you work night shifts, you get mm-hmm. paid more. So that's like one okay. one advantage. Mm-hmm. I think I've always been a person that liked maximizing efficiency. Mm-hmm. So I used to do that at that job as well. So like I would just do the stuff that I had to do. I did it really well and fast and then I could spend the rest of my time thinking or relaxing. Mm-hmm. It sounds like even then you kind of had a plan in mind, like I'm going to do this but this is not forever. This is just to kind of, to figure out my next step, right? And then you mentioned in, in telling the story there that you picked up a book on SEO. How did this book come into your hands and why were you compelled to read this? It's hard. I just kind of like looked at what I did in the past and I was like, you know, web development was, I don't know if it was upcoming, but it was a big thing then already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know, got to start somewhere. Um, and I think, my, I have, so I have two brothers and they're also very entrepreneurial. So I think it also came from them sort of the influence to do something, um, for myself. So I was like, you know, I gotta do something in this break. Um, in all this spare time that I have, I just picked up a book. I don't know where, where, where it came from, but I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll probably be good at this. So I did that. And, uh, yeah. Do you remember the name of the book that you read? Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. But, you know, that first book started me off and then I, you know, I, I started with the, the, you know, the four hour work week, these kinds yeah. of things, you know, the, the usual, the usual books. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll figure that out later because I'm sure, because <laughs> here's what I think, like um, your, your, your life is going one way and then it takes a detour. Like you're, you're, you're going to inter- uh, school to study international business and then you work in the factory and then you pick up this book on SEO, and then that, that gets you to start uh, thinking about writing blogs and then YouTube. So it's like this one pivotal moment I'm trying to understand because a lot of people struggle seeing these moments, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take it back a little bit. Okay. So ju- when I just finished college, um, another friend of mine also just finished college, and we were like, let's travel. So we worked in a perfume factory, another okay. factory for <laughs> three months, like straight 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we traveled through the, throughout the U.S. for three months. 
Okay. And I did a lot of couch surfing there and I met a lot of people that, you know, that also started like their own websites. And I, so me being somebody that had affinity with computer related skills, um, I struck up a lot of in, in, interesting conversations with other people that had done similar things or had similar interests. So, um, you know, for example, we stayed over at the, at the guy's place and he ran what was at the time one of the biggest sort of um, final um, trading websites in the world. So I was like, yeah, this guy is making a lot of passive income and, you know, he's just like working on his website a little bit. And apart from that, he's just like inviting people over and showing them. Um, he lived in Cleveland, Ohio, showing them Cleveland. I was like, yeah, that's something that I want to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely played a part as well. I see. Oh, they're starting to make a little bit more sense now. That's the pretty, mm. pretty critical part in the story. So yeah, you're out of school. You're kind of just exploring life and it takes you where it takes you. Right. And it seems exactly. like you're the kind of guy who's got a free spirit. There's not a lot that you're attached to. So you see this guy's business. You're like, this is pretty cool. And maybe that's when it's, you start to think, how do I build a business like that? Because that's pretty cool from the outsider perspective, like what he's able to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that that played a part as well. Okay. And when you get out of school, what year is this? I'm trying to get context for this. Um, I was done studying, uh, I think, early 2012. Okay. Um, and then in 2012, I also went to the U.S. And I think the very start of 2013 is when I started uh, Chillhop. Okay. All right. This is perfect. Let's get to Chillhop. Okay. For people who don't know, what is Chillhop? Chillhop is a music label at its core, but it grew out from from a promo channel on YouTube. So we have a pretty significant um, channel there with about 3 million subscribers. Um, we focus a lot on like the visual part of things as well. And yeah, it came from sort of instrumental hip hop beats. Um, so yeah, it's mostly it's mostly a label. We do some stuff on the side, like you know, clothing and um, publishing services and stuff. But the, at the core, we're a music label. Mm-hmm. And is chill hop like an official way of describing a musical genre? And how is this related to lo-fi hip hop? Yeah. So when I started chill hop, I was at a friend's place. And I was like, yeah, I want to start something for this music and promote it. And we were like, what, how would you, what would you even call it? And we were like, chill hop. And then I checked the domain name chillhop.com and I noticed that it was available. So I bought it <laughs> and, and it sort of like grew out from, from there. And I kind of tried to avoid talking too much about genres because I feel like it's not really, it's not really having too much of a function and it's more limiting than sort of like giving room for for discussion when you compare it to lo-fi hip-hop lo-fi hip-hop is a is a term that became popular um a few years ago for Mm -hmm. for this type of music um it's technically not really so like nowadays every sort of instrumental hip-hop beat that somewhat chill gets named as gets labeled lo-fi hip-hop but it's not really what lo-fi hip-hop started as lo-fi hip-hop started as really you know pretty gritty, pretty raw um, beats. But then, you know, you know how it goes when people adapt something, you know, then everyone adapts this this term and now instrumental hip hop beats is like, 
called lo-fi hip-hop so you know it is it is what it is i don't know it's, it's kind of weird that chill hop music served quite a good purpose at the start because it described the music pretty well but now it's sort of growing out into like a genre and you get into this awkward sort of like situation where a lot of people use the word chill hop to describe the music and you're like okay to what extent are we still distinctive within it all right okay this is getting interesting and complicated mm -hmm. too because I, I understand your reaction to like labels because it limits what it's shorthand right so that we can tell another person like i'm really into this without yeah. having to explain it all and so it becomes a shorthand and the danger there is because your company is called chill hop and if it becomes the genre it becomes ubiquitous and you your the uniqueness of your name starts to go away like how people say oh, i'm going to go to the xerox copier you know and yeah. I, no they mean the photocopier and it starts to be diluted and it's it's one of those things where you want people to use your name as a verb or something like that like google let's just google it but then you start to lose the specialness and the uniqueness of your name i, I totally get that yeah and it's also a problem nowadays is that people can put music on spotify very easily without very much control so when you search for chill hop on spotify for example you'll have like hundreds of people that just call themselves chill hop something something just to show up in the top in the top of the search results so it gets really hard to battle um in that regard so that's been a, a little bit of a challenge yeah but i see i see it you know when when you look at edm for example it also became a term to label all electronic music but like i listen to edm is kind of it's so broad and i'm like you know it's not really saying saying that much so you know lo-fi hip-hop i think is also like so wide at a certain point that it's more mm -hmm. of a umbrella term mm -hmm. well uh, you, you'll be happy to know this i did search uh chill hop on spotify last night while i was mm -hmm. working and you did come up first and i was like okay this must be you and i'm listening to your playlist so okay let's get on awesome. to the next next part so you're still ranking very high i think let's get to the next part which is the part where you're you're using this what you've learned i from what i can gather in seo and you're finding an application for it which is search engine is driving how people find and discover things so if you master that you just need an application so you found this intersection between this genre of music that you like and you you're thinking like let me use blogs and then ultimately youtube which i think was a pretty brilliant play because obviously blogs you can't listen to but on mm -hmm. YouTube, and then you add some artwork to it. And then I see you, you're doing really well on YouTube. And and it was really smart. Like, I will do marketing for you artists for free, I think, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and yep. how did people respond when you said that? Because if people ask me to use my content, I'm a little suspicious. I'm like, well, what are your intentions? Are you going to make money on this? And what, were, what was your reaction when you reached out in the beginning? So I think it's, I really thought a lot about how I could offer value to the artists. These were all artists that were relatively small. So it was, you know, I didn't go to artists that had a huge, huge following, uh, social following. So, so there was sort of a match there. Furthermore, I also didn't, for the first two and a half or three years, I didn't make any money off of YouTube. I just didn't put any ads on. 
So it was just for the love of the music and, you know, getting them more followers. And in the description, we would link to their band camp, um, which is which was then like the 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 most popular platform for for these artists or their SoundCloud. So it was it was nice. And I really got to know all of these artists very, very well. So, you know, at a certain time, they were just my friends. So if they would release something new, they would just send it to me and be like, yeah, do you like it? If you want, you can upload it to the channel. So it was really just sharing stuff that friends um, released. Mm -hmm. So how did you make money doing this for the first two years? I didn't, man. That's why I worked okay. in the factory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you would do this during the day and then go to the factory at night and... Yeah, and that and I... Yeah, I also um, I also did some newsletters. Um, so for restaurants and stuff, I just like designed their newsletters, pretty basic stuff. But you know, it earned quite well. You know, I would spend a few hours per day on this, or like every every other day, and that would make me enough money to you know pay for food and stuff. I also moved back in with my parents, so I could mm. fully like focus on on building this this chill hub thing. So. Um, yeah, it was a combination of everything. And and to be honest, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate to have a family that that really supports me. I think my parents at at that time didn't really understand what I was doing mm -hmm. in my room all day. But um at this point they're like, Yeah, you must have done something right. So uh yeah, I'm happy with that. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the parents because uh, I was gonna ask you, so this is really important here. You, you go study international business, then you travel a little bit, but then you wind up working in a factory job and then building content for free for other people. What what were the discussions like at the dinner table? Did your parents take an interest in this? Were they curious or were they thinking, you know what, you just do you and I, we, we trust you to figure it out? Yeah, so they they trust me. I'm always mm -hmm. very open towards towards my parents. I think my... My mom is a little bit more tech savvy than than my than my dad. So my mm -hmm. mom is like, oh yeah, I understand this. And you know, I was working a job and I I made enough money and you know, so so they didn't really have to anything to worry about. And they they didn't know what I was doing, but you know, it started to started to to build up. And you know, at a, at the time where I had a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers, they were like, oh yeah, there's this many people listening to what you do, that must be something. And, you know, even at this time, I when I speak to my dad, you know, the, the thing he asks is like, okay, how many YouTube subscribers do you have now? Because <laughs> after like seven years, this is yeah. the one thing that he kind of like understands. Right, right. And so how long did it take you to get to 100,000 subs? I think the 100,000 was 2015, 16, something, uh, something around that. Okay. Time. Yeah. So like a couple of years to get there, right? Yeah, the first few yeah. years were really were really slow. But yeah. you know, I had a great time just like connecting with the artists and you know, I, I spent a lot of time with artists from the US as well. So I would I was I would be up until three, four AM and wake up the next day at, you know, eleven or twelve in the morning and just be I was just on time to have like my breakfast and lunch for my parents combined so so my sort of like schedule was kind of flipped upside down but you know that time was i think very detrimental because i really learned a lot about the artists and the music and really learn how i could offer value to the artists because i think that's the most important part mm -hmm. 
And that's something I think people need to hear. And because I think a lot of people see an opportunity and they never think about like what's in it for the other person. You know, like once you build up an audience, people will come up to you like, hey, promote this, mention this, shout me out. It's like, well, why would I do that? Yeah, exactly. This is um, my mom always says, you know, honesty takes the longest. So and I believe that. So like, you know, if you think about all parties, I think it's best for the long term. So even within the label, you know, we take a percentage of royalties, but I always look at that percentage and judging whether the percentage that we take is worth the value that we offer. So if if an artist would be better off releasing the music by its, by himself or herself or going somewhere else, I would also sort of like honestly say that to the artist as opposed to like thinking like, yeah, if he releases with us, we get this and this. Like right. I always think about what's, what's the best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got to ask you this question. So you're doing this work for free. It sounds like you're very passionate about it, especially in the beginning. And it's slow going in terms of getting an audience. So you got to remain patient. You're thinking mm-hmm. value first and play the long game. Did you already have in your mind that eventually this was going to become your business? Did you know no. then? No. Okay. So when did it become real for you? Like, hey, I think there's a business here. Okay. So, you know what? When I started, I was like, yeah, it would be great if at some day could make money from it. And I was like laughing with my friend because I'd never imagined that it would right. actually be possible. I think I think after like two or three years when I turned on YouTube um, ads, like AdSense, I, you know, I started earning, you know, 50 cents a day. I was like, oh, nice. And then I was like, within a few weeks or a few months, it was like a few euros a day. And I was like, oh, nice. I can buy a beer every day from the money I make from YouTube. And right. it, it kept sort of like ramping up. And at a certain point I was like, oh yeah, I have to work less now for, you know, cause I am also earning some money on the side on YouTube. And, you know, it, it grew sort of exponentially for a while. And uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, that was around the time where I was like, oh yeah, this is really starting to become something. And at a certain point we started the label. So instead of just promoting the music, we also released um, the music. So we signed the rights to the music. So we also got a percentage of the royalties from that, from that moment for the music that we released. And that's also when it started, you know, growing exponentially. Um, another thing I have to mention is that we were one of the first channels on YouTube to start a, a, a 24-7 live stream. Um, and I think that also gave a huge boost. So I kind of like, I'm also, you know, I like tech, so I like combining everything. So I was like, you know, if I you know, put an extra computer in, in like the spare room that we have at home and I just run a live stream and you know, just have it running 24-7 and I just play, you know, a playlist. Then people have a sort of like radio channel like ran by us. That would be cool to do. And I didn't really see much of that on, on YouTube yet. I think uh, there was like one channel doing this. So um, I think being one of the first to do that also gave us a huge boost. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Boss. Welcome back to our conversation with Boss Ben Liyue. Uh, do you mind if I ask you some some business financial questions? Is that okay? No worries. Go okay. ahead. All right. So you're seven years into starting your YouTube channel. As you mentioned, you're somewhere on 3 million subs right now. And mm-hmm. with a 24-hour live stream, 
I'm starting to think revenue. I'm like, dang, mm-hmm. the AdSense revenue must be pretty good these days. Like, how much are you pulling in a month on average? Um, I think it's on the YouTube channel. It's about thirty mm-hmm. k a month. Wow, yeah, some something around this. Mm-hmm. That's significant money then. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have at the moment we have uh, we have a lot of people working on this as well. So you right. know. It's it's not like the operation grew uh, significantly, so the costs kind of like scale with that. We mm-hmm. currently have a workforce of about twenty five people uh, worldwide. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, uh, okay. So the next part is like okay, so you're like making money um, doing AdSense, and then mm-hmm. the transition into becoming a label. Now, I used to work at Epitaph Records long, long time ago when the Offspring was like blowing up all over the world. And so I got a sense of like what a record label does in the old days, you know, but in 2000 and, you know, whatever, 15, 16, like what does the music label do these days? Because the music landscape has changed so much. Yeah, I think it's a good question because it's changing a lot. Um, So I think us having our own sort of platform to promote the music plays a big part in that because where in the old days people would provide you know recording studios you know to to like radio promotion that kind of stuff people can record the music from their home so they don't really need help there um one is that we were in a unique position because we had our own platform so we could guarantee sort of exposure and um traffic the other was that um, we helped the artists with artwork and even like with the music itself. So I think a large part of, of the success is also just my taste in music. Um, mm-hmm. This is why the promo platform grew to what it was as well. So the artists would always like ask me for feedback and I would give them feedback. And I was like, you know, maybe you can do this. Maybe you can release it like this. So I was getting creatively involved more as well. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, at that time, people are still having struggle getting their music up on Spotify and that kind of stuff. So that was something I helped with as well. And then we started doing, you know, final releases um, pretty early on in 2016 as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I did all of that as well. And do you help them sell their music? I mean, because I guess the artists have to make money, right? So it's confusing now how artists make money, especially if you're a composer. Yeah, so... Nowadays, most artists make the majority of their money from streams on like mm-hmm. platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically the biggest part of their income. Then you have like things like Bandcamp where people pay for the music. Um, yeah, final records also sell for um, quite a bit. So um, yeah, that all contributes. But I think for most artists, like streaming is the biggest source of income uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. If I'm I'm a mid tier um, artist, how much money can I make from streaming? If you're a mid tier artist, I think the funny thing with our music is that because people listen to these playlists when they're you know studying or working a lot, and I have to say that I think it's more than just study music, but we can get into that later. Right. Um, I think because people listen to these playlists a lot when they're when they're studying or working. 
it really ramps up the plays very quickly because people just like put on a playlist, they work for a few hours. So you see a lot of these artists, they have quite some plays, but they have not too much following because people just listen to the music in the background. They're not a huge fan of like a specific artist. I mean, people are, but like generally it's it's not as much in line with the amount of streams as in some other genres. So I would say a mid-tier artist, you know, a million streams on Spotify makes an artist, makes about like um, three, wait, no, a million streams makes about 3.2K um, dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some artists that have, you know, mid-tier artists is like two to four million streams a month, mm-hmm. two to five million. Um, so yeah, they think they have like half of that is like costs. And, you know, if they release through a label, that's generally the cut that the label takes as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's uh, at the moment, it's quite a lucrative um, business for a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool because once they record the track, there's relatively low cost to them. All the distribution is done through these streaming networks. You're helping them to promote. And so you, as the label, take a percentage of their revenue stream. Is that the idea? Yeah. Okay. Okay, this is really interesting. Um, there's a couple of things that you brought up here and I, I want to circle back to real quick and just mention so that in case somebody's not paying attention, they understand what's mm-hmm. going on. In the old days, there was a pretty strong separation between the label, what they did in terms of nurturing and helping artists and how they actually helped them to sell CDs and whatever other final. And one one of the best ways is to get onto a radio station. So mm-hmm. in the in the path that you took, you kind of went the other way. You you became the radio station first, where you you bring an audience who has an appetite for this style of music, and then you're like, okay, let me go find artists since I'm already promoting a bunch of people. Why don't I promote yeah. my own artists? And then you said that you also did. I, I guess it would be called producing, right? Where you you creative direct or you give advice or mm-hmm. feedback to people so that they can tweak their music so hopefully more people like it. And then you're the art department because you're generating art for them. And then that gives a visual to the music. So it's like it's starting to become something here. And Mm -hmm. uh, then you help to facilitate the rest of the stuff because some of it can be a little technical or frustrating for people to get the different platforms. And maybe there are some some tricks there on how you have to like classify the music, whatever, so it could be discovered. Okay, that's the stuff I'm just recapping here. One thing that you told me was really interesting this style or genre, as much as you don't want to put it in that kind of box, it's just really easy to listen to. And because it's not, uh, it's instrumental, you're not distracted. It's kind of like a modern day classical music that you can get into maybe the the alpha waves of your brain or whatever, and just kind of focus, be creative Mm -hmm. and not be distracted. So people can listen to this on a loop and not go mad. And I think that's one of the genius things, right? Because any other pop song, if you listen to it for a while, you can only take so much before you go bananas. Yeah. I I think that's like the good and the bad part. Mm-hmm. So like while that is nice, it also moves people to make music just for that purpose. And it then my question is like, is the music still art or is it a product? Um, Mm. It's like a sort of like commoditizing of the music. And 
backed with sort of like the increasing popularity of the music. Like whenever something becomes popular, people jump on it because they see that, you know, they can get something out of it. Right. And it and it starts to have less and less character because the same thing is being done over and over again. And to be honest, for me, I see what we're doing. I, f I focus on the creative part. Like the business part is like nice to sort of, you know, um, it's needed in order to have the resources to do what we do. But the most motivating for us as a company is like to make new steps creatively. It's like now that this music is becoming popular, we're like, okay, how can we make sure that we showcase the personality that's behind it? Because this is the thing that people make the beats. It doesn't have lyrics. It gets put on like a playlist on Spotify. There's actually very little um, room for storytelling in there, which makes the music distinguishable. And this also plays in with like why people listen to, you know, lo-fi hip hop instead of like a specific artist a lot of the time is because there's, you know, things follow the same recipe. So like we're, you know, we're thinking, you know, what's the next step? How can we mm -hmm. make sure that it's something more than, than just that, you know, background thing that you're listening to? Right. Well, one thing that you, you pointed out again here is that there people like the music and for the most part though there's kind of low brand awareness so i think something needs to be done there perhaps because we want to be able to listen to this music and say oh that's that's got that signature style or sound or instrumentation yeah. or arrangement or something and then yeah. that's xy artists and this is xy artists's visual and kind of oral brand right yeah but but i think it's just because the the music industry and the way people listen to this music is the way that it is which sort of pushes artists to also be like oh yeah i just need to make this music i need to get it onto a label that has a big platform they'll provide the traffic for it and we'll get into a playlist and then a few weeks later i just release something new just because you know the tracks got taken off the playlist and i need to like you know, provide something new in order to to provide that sort of steady stream of income. And the way Spotify does it as well, it's like Spotify, is, for example, Spotify is pretty good because they, they fire a lot of analytics and statistics at you where, and like in this time and age, artists are like, you know, they're looking at these statistics and they're like, you know, this many streams, this is my worth because this is the way that they measure their, their worth. You know, how many streams am I getting? Is it more than I got, you know, last month? So that sort of prompts them again to make music that fits onto like a label or a playlist and sort of gets the tech companies to orchestrate how the artists make the music. And at a certain point, I'm, I'm feeling a little, I feel like it's not the best situation because A, I want the artist to also come to us and be like, yeah, I did this. This is really cool. This is really me. And this is, you know, the story behind it. Um, as opposed to like, you know, you guys have the platform, here are some beats, um, do with it what you want. And, you know, just put it in a playlist. And I I understand it. And the artists see their thing as, as you know, they, they run a business as well. But you know, for me, it's most inspiring to really work with with stories, and and we're we're moving into a direction where we have more room for that as well. Mm -hmm. 
your channel is it exclusively tracks from artists that you represent or it does include artists you do not represent so on our main spotify playlist our biggest spotify playlist we try to have a good balance between releases from the label and releases that are not on the label mm-hmm. just because i feel it's nice to not just fully focus on the on the label and also showcase music from others that we really like you know and there are some tracks in the past that are just like in my perspective sort of like classic tracks for for this uh, the the style of music that we're doing mm-hmm. so you want to create room to you know promote that as well um beyond yeah, our youtube at the moment it's mostly our our own music um just because of some copyright issues we've right. had in the in the past where the artist gives us permission to use the music but the music contains a sample which is not cleared mm. and then the original rights holder is like you know here's the copyright strike right and you know how youtube can be pretty strict with that kind of stuff so yeah that makes sense i, I wondered that so that answered that question mm. i i noticed that there's this recurring character a raccoon mm. at first i didn't notice it but i'm looking through the art i'm like oh there's a raccoon everywhere so I'd mm-hmm. love to hear about where the raccoon came from, its origin and its evolution as part of the artwork that we are seeing. Yeah. So I think for one, the raccoon is like a cool animal. I like it. It looks <laughs> it looks cute, but it has yeah. an attitude. It's not the nicest animal, but let's mm-hmm. you know, let's keep that out of it a little bit. But it's also it's an urbanized animal, right? It, it it's an animal came from nature, but it adjusted to the city life in a way and i think that also aligns a lot with with the style of music and our personality as a brand and you know when you see like a fed raccoon or a raccoon with some food they always look sort of happy and i don't know they're very cheeky cheeky animals and i just like i think just think their attitude is sort of similar to what my attitude and the attitude of the company is as well so I had I had it in mind for a while to to have the raccoon as a as a mascot, but I wasn't quite sure. And then I was with uh, our creative director. I was in Canada. I was visiting another label there, and we stayed in in some Airbnb somewhere in the mountains, or like close to the city, but you know, just out of Vancouver. And we were discussing the mascot thing, and I looked out the window, and there was actually like a raccoon outside of the window standing there just like looking at us so i was like you know at that point i was like you know just gotta go for it this is a this is a sign and i think the raccoon works really well and i think it fits the brand really well i think that's the most important thing for us Mm -hmm. and so in terms of the artwork when did you start using the raccoon and was it your artwork or was it somebody else making that so we started using it this is a hard question. I think it was two, two or three years ago. Okay. And we had uh, somebody design a very basic version. So it's just like black and white, very uh, minimal. Um, it's, it's their black and white raccoon that we still, like the icon we still use in a lot of places. And from there, we had um, somebody design the the live stream animation that we use on YouTube. So we had like one illustrator doing the 
doing the very basic version. And then we had somebody really building it out into like an animation. And from there on out, we have a lot of different illustrators drawing the raccoon sort of in their style, but, you know, with our raccoon as the baseline. Mm-hmm. And is there a certain style in, in terms of like the artwork and the way it looks? Because when I see it, it feels kind of like westernized anime a little bit and, and like really rich colors and gradients and there's a certain style yeah. to it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's that certain style to it. We're trying to make it. So the way we, we do things or the way I, I do things is that I really want the things that we're putting out to be us. I don't want to be like, you know, the audience likes this, so let's create it like this. I just want to be like, okay, this is who we are. And we look at the raccoon and we're like, okay, does it represent us in a in a way? So like the last year I've been working a lot on our brand. Like I'm I'm really focusing on on our brand to make sure that it represents that the raccoon, which is a large part of our brand, really represents us. So it's it's you know the visuals that we put out really match the atmosphere of the music. It's very chill, relaxed, and you know, very pleasant on the on the eyes, which I think uh, is what you're getting at. So, so mm-hmm. in that in that regard, it works really well as well with the people. But now we're also trying to create some variety in there because I feel like a lot of people are you know creating stuff in this style, and you know, we're like you know, what's the next step? So uh, we still want to keep it relaxed and and communicate what what job is about but we also want to make steps in there mm-hmm. okay let's jump to what's going on right now 2020 you've been at mm-hmm. this i think for about seven years now and at the beginning you had to move back home you you made some smart financial decisions i think like mm-hmm. w- where are you today like are you in your own studio what do you like get us caught up to speed with what your life looks like today so we're we're in Rotterdam. We have um, we have an office. There's like 15 people working here. Um, yeah, might be a little bit more now. Even uh, we have some people working working abroad. Um, I'm focusing a lot at the moment on a new umbrella brand that we're starting. So we're opening a cafe here in Rotterdam. Um, so that's been taking a lot of my time and effort because it's like starting a new business. Uh, I kind of underestimated it, but uh, we just want to bring that atmosphere of chill hop into like a real life place. Cause I feel like I usually do things from something that I would like to see or that I have a need for. So I was like, you know, I come from the countryside now I live in Rotterdam in the city. So I was like, you know, I need to have like a nice place that helps me, escape the city, escape sort of like the fast moving, even like digital life as well. Like people are always connected. It's like nice to go back to like simpler times and have like a a home away from home, you know, like a living room and um, that feels like a, an escape, like a place where you can like breathe for a little bit. So I'm working a lot on that as well. Um, so that's been taking up a part of my, uh, part of my time. Um, we're starting a clothing line also related to that, um, to that brand, to that lifestyle, uh, umbrella brand. And the way I do clothing or the way we sort of like approach those things is that 
I don't really want to print a logo on like a Gildan t-shirt and sell it as like clothing. We also want to make sure that we put out like good products and that we actually put the time in like creating it in the right way because um, we also want to um, work sort of sustainably um, instead of like just, you know, printing a logo on a t-shirt, people wearing it three times, it being faded and ending up like in the back of somebody's closet. So we've been doing a lot of work on like setting up our, our clothing line. I think we've been working on it for more than a year. Um, but, you know, if you've ever done clothing, you know, like it takes a long time with like sampling, with like communicating with factories, um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm essentially starting like two new businesses while also keeping uh, chill hop afloat and sort of um, exploring new directions for the creative side of chill hop. Because I really think... I really think the creative side is the most important for us. And I think that's, you know, the foundation and the marketing and the business side around it is like a multiplier of that creative side. So, uh, yeah, this is what I'm focusing on mostly. So tell me more about the the cafe. Like, when is it supposed to launch? And is it a good idea to launch in, in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic? I mean, maybe those decisions were made before yeah. and you, you're going to go through with it. But tell me a little bit about that. And I want to know a little bit more about conceptually like what is the theme or the through line like if i walk into a chill hop cafe mm -hmm. how's that different than any other cafe i think you know the fact that we have a, a music label as the foundation gives us a mm -hmm. little bit more of like a backstory mm -hmm. so i think you know a year ago or a little bit longer um i was thinking about what else we can do i think in the music industry and i think in a lot of industries there's a few there's a common thread of a few big tech companies that start to sort of dictate what people do. So like people, like I said before, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and stuff, they sort of like dictate how labels should should move or should function. I was like, it would be great to like take, you know, one step outside of the music industry so we can have like more creative freedom. So like a year ago or a little bit longer ago, I was like, you know, taking a step back and looking at Chill Up as a brand. It's like, okay, we release music, but what's the, you know, what's the purpose? And for me, it's, I like to create these atmospheres that just help me relax a little bit more. Or like, I think there's like an increasingly hectic everyday life. People are more connected than ever. Everything is like going at a higher pace than ever before. So finding... A sort of escape from that a little bit was what chill hop provided to me as well so like if you see chill hop as an expression of that um, that idea then you could express that idea in different ways as well so like you know a cafe is for me the perfect the perfect thing to to extend it in that way and you know the cafe will have you know the artwork that we put out um, it will have some some small um, concerts these kinds of things we will be able to film stuff there as well for chill hop so it's like it's not going to be called chill hop cafe but there's definitely going to be a link with chill hop and like what we do there mm -hmm. okay is it going to be open 24 hours because it seems like that's the kind of you know it's like three in the morning where am i gonna go i'm gonna go here and i'm gonna read a book and have a cup of coffee and have a sandwich or something is I mean, are there are there ways that you're integrating that kind of the vibe that you get from listening to this music and the people who consume it and, and the cafe itself? Or are there any other ideas you want to share with us? 
Yeah, so, you know, we want to do things like, you know, on a Thursday night, have like a Super Mario Kart tournament on the Super Nintendo and, you know, the mm -hmm. winner gets, you know, free beers. Um, we want to have board game nights. We want to have, you know, a Sunday, like it's going to be called Endless Sunday. So just the idea of a Sunday of not having every anything on the agenda, um, that's like a feeling that's very special to me. And that's what we want to have represented there as well. So, and we want to play into like all of the senses. We want the smell to be something like, you know, coming to your grandma's place and having that perfect like comfort uh, food dish that she makes, like that feels like home. We want the couches to be like nice to sit in. We want, um, you know, the food to be something that reminds you of home. We want the people to be super nice and, you know, um, not like they're selling to you, but like feeling like, you know, they're just a friend that's, you know, there as well. So that's sort of like the idealistic uh, view of the cafe. So it's going to be mm. definitely open also in daytime, but, uh, you know, nighttime as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you, you got to be, you got to be flex flexible in these, in these right. times, you know, because here in the Netherlands, we were supposed to open, you know, in like a few weeks but it's looking like it's not going to be opened in, in 2020. So uh, we're looking at 2021 opening. Mm -hmm. Is is this uh, having an adverse effect on your finances because you're paying for a space that you can't actually use? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. we gotta, we gotta be, uh, we gotta be smart and creative with that as well. So it's, it's a little bit of a challenge, you know, but I try to look at things positively and, uh, you know, looking at how we can make it work. So like next year is going to be a challenge for sure. But, you know, we've always found solutions to challenges. So I'm, uh, I'm certain we can make this work as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I suppose that's where you can also get merch. Like you're talking about the artwork, music and merch. So it's like this whole integrated experience, right? Yeah, I think. And I think that's the fun part. So, so the more things you do, the more room you have to move creatively as well and the more you can have all the dots connected to each other the more the more easily it is to justify you know putting resources into something because like if you if we can do for example a gig in the cafe and it pulls some people there and at the same time we can film it and upload it on the chill Hop music channel you know we have a local audience um, we might have like a local artist as well and we can showcase it on our chill music channel. So like, these are the things which I think is, you know, is, is great about, you know, having different sort of like businesses in different directions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Getting back to the label for a second, mm -hmm. I think you, you were really smart in how you executed this. It's kind of freaking my mind out that in 2013, chill hop was still available as a URL. So you were <laughs> definitely on to something there. Yeah, but I think exactly. about like what else you can do. Like you, you seem to have figured out the SEO game. Mm -hmm. You're kind of owning YouTube. This is really cool. Mm -hmm. Are is there anything else that you're thinking about in terms of how to get attention for your artists? Yeah, we're really we're really focusing on just like pushing the artists to really dig into like themselves and to really express their personality it's like there's a lot of artists that are just that are just fine just making beats and putting them online and you know not not really building themselves as a brand um and that's fine 
but I think in order to to be distinguishable in the long term, it's great to work with like personalities and have some personal stories to store to to share there as well. And I think then you know the umbrella sort of lifestyle brand that we're starting creates room to to tell these stories as well. So like this is another way where we can combine, um, yeah, all of that in a way. And I think for the long term. You know, what we see now is that there's a lot of artists that just release on different labels and then it, it gets harder to distinguish label A from label B. Because um, you mentioned you worked for a label a while back and I think sort of the, the traditional label uh, models that a label signs an artist. So like the artist just releases on that label. So like then the artist becomes a staple for for that label as well. The way we've done it in the past is that we just signed releases. So the artist could then just go to another label just because it gave flexibility to the label and also to us. But now that the music is becoming popular, um, artists just release on different labels and then, you know, what's the difference between label A and label B? So we're really focusing on, you know, the stories, the context in order to have something that really touches people um, as opposed to having just music to listen to in the in the background. So I think sort of the stories also empower the music and give it meaning. Are you thinking about possibly changing that down the line where you sign the artist and not just the track? Yeah, but you need to find the right artists because mm-hmm. we don't want to make up stories for the artist. We want the artists to share their story and for us to, you know, play into this because then it creates a way better dynamic as opposed to us, you know, making stuff up for, for, for the artists. So it's, it's a commitment, you know, and we're really spending the time now to get to know the artists, um, better and like the artists that, that are fitting with us for, for the long term. We're, we're really exploring that as well. And, you know, this is why it's great to have the cafe and to have, things centralized here in Rotterdam as well, because then we can invite people over and really get to know them because there's only so much you can uh, learn about each other when it comes to just like online relationships. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because um, from my own background as a guy who is fascinated by brands and helps other companies establish their voice, this sounds to me like an opportunity to do a little talent management because talent is what I can't fabricate, but everything mm-hmm. else in terms of like helping to maybe help them find their style visually, like who they are and how they show up. That seems like a pretty cool opportunity. I had some thoughts for you, though. I was thinking mm-hmm. about this. Like, would you consider doing a couple things like maybe having live concerts? I don't know if this works. Mm-hmm. Or a music festival. Or making yeah. docu films like they have for like the biggest artists in the world, like Prince mm-hmm. back in the day or, or Michael Jackson, where you can tell the story through video and imagery and get a slice of who they are and where they where that in the world and one other idea is perhaps there's the chill hop awards an yeah. annual thing like best new artist best track or something like yeah, that exactly. where you can be the person the company the brand that really is pushing and promoting artists in this genre yeah that's that's for sure that's that's definitely the direction that we're moving towards and a big part of what I'm doing is sort of shaping the workforce to have the people that have this sense, you know, like you say, the talent for spotting um, 
the creative concepts and the artists that we should work with. So I'm really working on shaping the workforce um, in this way. And it's also creating the channels and the outlets um, to, to um, supply this or to um, facilitate this. So like the cafe is a great place because, you know, this is where we can do like the concerts and where we can film stuff and really create content. And this is um, very important. And, you know, once the music starts to have more real faces in there, because like, if you look at the music, it's a lot of like illustration and animation. And I think, I think it's a step-by-step transition to showing more of the personality and more of the people behind it. So like, we're definitely moving in that direction. And the, the show of awards is actually a great idea. This is something that has come up over the over the last couple of years, but we haven't uh, haven't given it shape yet. So uh, so thanks for the reminder there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just curious. Are there superstars in this genre, like where people kind of know them by name? Not too much, uh, or at mm-hmm. least not as much as with other genres. And if you compare the amount of streams that artists get to like their brand, you know, their Instagram profiles and these kinds of things. It's relatively, the artists are relatively sort of like held back. You know, there is a lot of, you know, these are like a lot of these guys are producers that, you know, just want to make beats in their bedroom. They don't want to like, you know, show their face in front of the camera um, every day. They don't want to have this sort of um, commitment to always create like, you know, content, filmed content and that kind of stuff. So. I think this type of music generally, you know, has a more laid back and a more held back type of personality when it comes mm-hmm. to artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think definitely in the next couple of years, there's going to be artists that that jump out in a way. So I'm excited to see that because I think that's something that's been that's been missing um, mm-hmm. in the music. But at the moment, it's uh, yeah, it's people are. The artists are still relatively um, small in terms of like actual brands. Right. This sounds to me like an opportunity, especially because a lot of people who tune in to our podcast are probably from the design or the branding space. So those are the people who are listening, reach out to these artists, help them develop their brand, guys. Yeah, honestly, man, an opportunity and, here. And, and I think, you know, where so the difference between labels and management is that labels work on the music management Uh, supports the artists Mm -hmm. and at the moment i think there's a lot of labels that work with the music but there's not a lot of like management because a lot of these artists you know they're like you know i can just make the beats and send them to a label they'll upload it well i'll get the streams why would i need a manager right but it's they're not sort of like a lot of them are not sort of like building something on the long term or actually building their own brands, so they're not as self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's definitely an opportunity there to create a better balance. And I think there's there might be a different way of approaching it when it comes to management that works better for, for artists in this uh, time and age and for this type of music, but that's something to, uh, to still figure out. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're working a lot with the artists as well, so, you know, we are a label, but we're helping artists a lot on, on their 
on their brand as well. Because like it's mm-hmm. nice for us as well if an artist has a brand and has an audience that they push towards the releases that they do on our label. Right. That's mutually beneficial there. Yeah, okay. for sure. Now, before I wrap up here and let you go, now this is an awkward question because you're still a relatively young person. I'm looking at you right now, like you're so mm-hmm. young. <laughs> and yeah. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> but the question here is, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, like the keys to your success. Somebody's listening to this, like, wow, I really love what I'm hearing from Boss. I want to learn what he's learned. So what has been the keys to your success? I think the keys to my success were... This is putting me on the spot right there. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I think the keys to my success were always looking forward. So I always, you know, it's nice to stand still, but I think a lot of these being like innovative and looking at the new things to do were always the things that put us ahead. Like just like the live stream, just like starting a label in this this music where there weren't really too much labels yet. Um, Also turning turning fear into something that you can learn from. Um, so taking back control of the fear. So I would always like look at things around me happening and I would be like, yeah, it sucks. Or, you know, this is like something that threatens me. But I think nowadays I'm a little bit more calm where I'm looking at things more from a perspective. Okay. It's like, what can I learn from it as opposed to feeling threatened or sort of like, rebelling against the against it so i think those were those were the nice things apart from that i think i think really taking the time for stuff and not sort of like growth hacking your way to the top and sort of like realizing that slow and steady wins the race i think that's something i did right and that's something that i would do again because i don't know i feel like that just for the long term, it just just works better than, than, than growth hacks. Like actually knowing, taking things into account, like, you know, how can you help the opposite party? Um, how can you build relationships where, you know, you're offering as much value as the people on the, on the other line? And I think you experience this as well as like at a certain point, people ask a lot of things and it's very hard to really cater to everyone um, but for me, I always looked at, you know, what can I also offer the, the party on the other line in order to create a sort of like sustainable relationship. And I think that always worked. And I think the most important thing is to keep it fun for yourself. It's like, we're always just like the first, the only thing I look at is, you know, do we have fun doing this? Do we like the music still? I wouldn't, if, if there's music that I think would do well but I don't like it, I don't put it out because we want to stand behind what we do. We want the brand to be a a representation of us because then you don't have to act. Then you don't have to be like, okay, how do I communicate? Because it's just you. And you can also be as transparent as possible because you have nothing to hide. And it's just, you know, what you, the content being fully aligned with who you are as a person or who you are as a brand and having people on the team that also align with that just makes it, you know, 10 times easier. So I think that's, uh, for me, at least the most important part, like prioritizing the creative part. Mm, Very good. Very good. 
Okay, so you were able to do it. I put you on the spot and you were able to do it. Beautiful <laughs> job there. Thanks. So I, I have a request for, for you or uh, that uh, since we're talking about music, it'd be great to have some of your tracks for this episode so we can kind of play it for our audience and maybe weave it in and out maybe. But you yeah. can decide that later. And uh, how do people find out more about you and your label? Where do they go? I think chillup.com is a, is, a, is a great starting point. Um, yeah, I mean... I have a LinkedIn page. Um, I, I don't, as a person, I try to, I've been somewhat on the background in the, in the past, just because I feel like I want to put more spotlight on the, on the label, on the artists, um, as opposed to myself. But I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, doing more, you know, public speaking or just writing out more from my personal standpoint, because I feel like it can help some, some people as well. So like my LinkedIn is a, Feel free to connect with me um, there and chillup.com is a good place for people that are looking for music to use as well. So like for indie creators, we always have people, uh, we always allow people to use the music for free. For commercial purposes, people can can hit us up as well. But uh, I think chillup.com is a, is the perfect um, spot to, uh, to start at. Great. Well, boss, thank you very much for having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed hearing your story about how you went from studying international business in school, working in a perfume factory and then packaging and doing all kinds of things and just being open to this idea. Like when when opportunity hit you, you found it and you went in and you played the long game. You were super patient. You put value first. And it seems like you really have this aura about you that you you feel like chill hop to me, like just the way you carry yourself. There's there's an authenticity to it, a genuineness to you. And I wish you nothing but success in your future endeavors with a cafe, with a clothing line, and maybe maybe the awards, the chill hop awards that'll come in a couple of years. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks to you as well. Like over the years, I've checked out quite a lot of the future, you know, podcasts, uh, I think the one with Steph was very interesting and it's a good conversation about branding. Um, mm. Eli Altman, um, we actually work with the, with their company um, for, for the naming. So I think, uh, yeah, you've, you've provided a great resource um, for me and a lot of others as well. So uh, thanks for, you know, playing your part in, in our journey as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. My name is Bas van Leeuwen and you're listening to The Future. Special thanks to the team at Chill Hop Music, Montel Fish, and Ezzy for allowing us to use their awesome music in this episode. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode, and thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.